3: Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, February 26th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, advocates for the poor and needy speak out against legislation to greater scrutinize TANF recipients. And why some public officials are switching parties. Then, after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, part two of our conversation with John C. Britton. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Some Mississippi organizations are speaking out against a proposed bill that would allow the state auditor to examine the tax returns of those who receive public assistance. Groups including the Mississippi Center for Justice and the State NAACP say the bill criminalizes the poor. They referred to the recent four million dollar embezzlement scandal involving the former head of the Department of Human Services, saying it's providers who should be it's the providers who should be investigated. Tangela Wade is the director of the Mississippi Justice Center.
4: Mississippi Center for Justice is standing with the twelve other Major nonprofit organizations standing here today to give voice in support of Mississippi's most vulnerable citizens. You know, three weeks ago, former Department of Human Services officials and their agency contractors were arrested for stealing millions should I repeat that, arrested for stealing millions from the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, otherwise known as TANF program. This is a public benefit program, public funds meant to help Mississippi's most vulnerable children and families. Instead of fighting fraud and abuse where it actually occurred and making sure that this never happens again, our elected officials are targeting the victims of Davis and News fraudulent criminal activity. They are targeting the victims, our low-income women, children, elderly, and disabled citizens who are in desperate need of TANF funds.
3: Corey Wiggins is the executive director for the Mississippi Chapter of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. He says he wants to make sure lawmakers know the people of Mississippi are watching.
1: I stand here with my partners, our partner organizations with us today, also representing uh, NAACP members all across the state to make sure that people understand the folks in this hall, the folks who are making the decisions, understand that the people of Mississippi are watching. We are watching as you are attacking our public benefits. You are watching as we are—you uh, are attacking families and communities who are most in need. We are also watching as you are making decisions, and those same decision makers are making sure that their friends and their allies are making money off the backs of those folks who are most in need. And we are not going to stand idly by while these things continue to happen. We are excited. We are here. We are watching. We are watching Mississippi. We continue to watch the decisions that are being made in this body and, and knowing that those decisions are not being made in the best interest of the citizens of Mississippi.
3: The proposed legislation was subject to heated debate on the Senate floor earlier this month. Bill sponsor, Republican Josh Harkins of Rankin County, defended the bill as Democrats, like Jackson's David Blunt, questioned, questioned its direction
0: they rejected 98% of people who applied and we're going to audit the 2% i mean that just doesn't make any sense to me we're not auditing why don't we audit the 98% that to see that if they were improperly denied benefits by by an agency that we're, is we're not
5: auditing the 2% and and the uh, over 700,000 people in Mississippi are on medicaid almost you know close to a third of our population um, so no, I'm well, talking
0: think, about TANF now. I'm not talking well, about know, Medicaid.
5: Okay, this, doesn't, this doesn't address TANF. This addresses uh,
0: well. It addresses programs administered under the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services administers TANF.
5: Correct, but the program specifically that this is this bill is needed for is for a Medicaid audit. I'm not aware of any audit of TANF that the well. I'm just like reading what the bill asking. says.
0: I'm just reading what it says on line 117 and 118, and it says auditing benefits administered under the United States Department of Health and Human Services. And that includes TANF. And so for many of us, we're outraged that 98% of the people who applied were denied so people could be stealing money. And this bill would allow the auditing not of the 98%, but of the 2%.
3: Coming up, why some public officials are switching parties. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
5: The contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere.
3: Have you been in this situation? You're listening to a great story on Think Radio in your vehicle, but now it's time to go inside. You want to keep listening, but you're ready to move on. What can you do? Pull up the MPB Public Media app on your phone while you're in the car. You can continue listening to that great MPB local show and not miss a moment. Search for the MPB Public Media app in your app store. This is Mississippi Edition on NPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Six Democratic elected officials in Mississippi and two independents have switched to the Republican Party. Governor Tate Reeves and the Mississippi GOP welcomed those officials at an event earlier this week. Reeves says he's happy to see more people joining the Republican Party.
5: Well, it's obviously uh, good to have uh, people from all over the state joining the Mississippi Republican Party. Everyone that was standing up here today has been friends of mine for many, many years, and they are determining what so many Americans are determining, and that is uh, the liberal Democrat Party that really is the socialist party of Bernie Sanders uh, is not what they're looking for uh, in a political party. And that if if you want to be a conservative in Mississippi, Uh, you've got to join the Republican Party to do so because conservatives are no longer welcome in the National Democrat Party.
3: Anthony Grayson is circuit clerk for Smith County. He tells MPB's Kobe Vance his decision is based on what he feels is the gradual shift of the National Democratic Party.
6: It was a decision made more with my heart than my mind. Uh, I felt like that this was the best way that I could serve my people, uh, my friends, my family, and the Lord that I serve. And I felt like that being associated with the Democratic Party was kind of the direction is going now was something that was affecting my Christian witness, to be honest with you. And so this was, like I said, a decision made with my heart and one I felt like it would enable me to be closer to what I profess to be.
2: And uh, were there any? What were the changes that like just made you say this is? Uh, I've got to make a change.
6: Basically, just. I guess you'd say the values that I was raised on, as far as Christian values, family values, and kind of, I felt like that that I was that the Democrat Party was kind of drifting away from that, and I felt like I needed to make this change. Like I said, be more on what I stand upon and believe upon.
2: And now, uh, you know, you were joined by several other people up here today. Um, what do you think that means for the Mississippi Republican Party?
6: I think that they're experiencing, as they say, a growth, uh, a wave growth, and people feel more connected to them than the other. I don't feel as a person that I've changed any beliefs or anything I have, but I just, as time's gone on, it seems like that they represent my beliefs better than anything else. It's kind of been a shift in that direction. I don't believe that the people up here today have really changed that much. It's just that this is where they feel more comfortable being relating to and the things they believe in.
2: And now, were you a were you a Democrat or a uh, Independent before this? Democrat ran as a Democrat. So, uh, what? How long were you on the defense about this?
6: Well, probably for the last two to three years, four years probably for this the last term.
2: And so were there any major changes that you said, okay, well, that's something I I might need to start considering changing them for parties?
6: I don't think there was anything major, just a gradual thing. Like I said, just what I related to and felt more comfortable with and uh, felt like this better represented what I believe in and what I stand for.
2: And now for people that elected you as a Democrat and now you're a Republican, what would you want to say to them?
6: I'm the same man that they elected. i got the same beliefs. Uh... My heart and soul is the same. I'm going to serve them to the best of my ability, as I always have. and This is just something that I felt like I needed to do to be true to myself and to them.
3: Anthony Grayson is the Smith County Circuit Clerk and former Democrat. Democrats are expressing concern over the increasing influence of the Republican Party in state government. State Representative Earl Banks of Jackson is the executive vice chair for the Mississippi Democratic Party. He tells our Kobe Vance party switches are also something deeply affecting the legislature.
7: We've had some people switch recently to the Republican Party, and they have switched, in my opinion, because of the threats of the Republicans to redistrict them in districts in which they cannot win unless they're Republicans. Uh, The Republicans, of course, have uh, gerrymandered numerous districts uh, and made some minority districts, super minority districts. Uh, You can take my district, for example. I'm up to like 85 90% minority, which I, which I do not need that. Uh, Mississippi still votes by race. Race is a factor in the elections.
2: And what do you think can be the long-term ramifications of that kind of policy change?
7: Well, the ramification, of course, is that it uh, promotes uh, the Republican agenda. Uh, they do it because they can get a majority vote in the House and the Senate, and they can get their legislation passed. Uh, we used to have more coalitions where we could vote on legislations, amendments, that would help more people in Mississippi. Now we find it's a very narrow, very narrow uh, situations in which we can find any type of compromise. For example, the tax cut uh, that uh, Philip Gunn and, uh, and Tate Reeves pushed through some years ago, that's over $400 million a year in tax cuts that we push with about 80% of that money going back to out-of-state corporations who have not had any job growth in Mississippi, have not invested back in Mississippi. And in the job creation here, Mississippi has one of the lowest-performing economies in the state of this America, one of the lowest. We don't have a job growth. We are below all of our neighboring states in the Southeast. And you look at SFL economic policies of the Republican Party here in Mississippi
3: In November, Republicans in Mississippi gained control of all eight statewide offices, expanded their majority in the state Senate, and maintained a supermajority in the House. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, part two of our conversation with John C. Britton. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission.
5: I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of pediatrics and internal medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute this question in clinic from parents who have concerns about their kids and adolescents in particular on their social media use. So what do we know about social media use and its effects? And I'll say right off the bat, we don't know everything about that. There's a lot of associations, which means we can't prove a cause and effect a lot of times, but there is a lot of evidence that staying on your phone or social media, things like Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, lots of different things like that. It is interesting that uh, in the early to mid-2000s till today, we've seen a huge increase in kids and teens who come to the hospital with suicidal thoughts or attempts? It's almost doubled between 2008 and 2015 in the U.S. There's a lot of overdose rates for those uh, adolescents age 10 to 18. Uh, they had previously been on the decline, and then something happened around 2011 to 2018, particularly among teenage girls. And although you can't blame it totally, I don't think, on social media, there are a lot of negative effects. There's some really good research out of Canada and the U.S. that looked at kids who spent more time on Facebook were more prone to negative states such as envy, insecurity, uh, the FOMO, the fear of missing out, that can really impact your mental well-being. Now, do you need to just do without it? I think we're all linked up to certainly the Internet for the rest of our lives. Most everybody uh, relies on that. But there is a lot to be said about disconnecting and having a healthy time that you can interact with other people, particularly if an adolescent, that is critical to an adolescent's normal mental development and behaviors, social behaviors develop during those times. And uh, if you're on social media and that's your main way of communicating, that is not a healthy way to do it. So recommendations from Dr. Jimmy is... Talk to your adolescents about that. Ask them how they feel when they're on social media. Uh, But addiction to social media is a thing. Uh, Just something to think about. Uh, Healthy uh, stepping back can be great, and it can help you uh, have some time to reconnect to your family and to others. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio no matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone. Everyday tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. For moments in black history, we recognize Representative Alice G. Clark. Born in Yazoo City on July 3rd, 1939, Clark became the first African-American woman elected to the Mississippi legislature in 1985, best known for leading the efforts to get drug courts in Mississippi, and the Alice G. Clark Mississippi Lottery Law approved. Currently, she is the longest serving woman in the Mississippi legislature. This has been MPB's Moments in Black History.
3: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. In February 1970, 89 black students at the University of Mississippi were arrested. The route, a protest on the stage of the Fulton Chapel. All 89 students retained the services of a young lawyer named John C. Britton, who managed to get all charges against the students dropped but the eight students that took the stage were permanently expelled by the university. Mr. Britton tells us about the effects that expulsion had on the students and what it's like to return to Oxford in part two of our conversation.
8: The students were very bitter. And to this day, several students refused to ever set foot on Ole Miss property. Some of the other students of the Ole Miss eight Went on to very successful careers by going to other universities. One student in particular named Donald Cole became an associate provost. He came back to the University of Mississippi where he obtained a PhD in mathematics. He was an associate provost here at the university for 10 to 15, maybe as much as 20 years. Another student went on to become a very successful municipal court judge in Mississippi. tennessee his name is john donnell in fact john donnell is somewhat the face of the leadership of the group john donnell came to the university of mississippi in 1964 two years after james meredith integrated the university donnell graduated in 1968 and he joined the united states navy as a commission officer he enrolled at the University of Mississippi School of Law in January 1970 by March and by the end of the semester he had been expelled from Ole Miss he was a veteran and an undergraduate
2: alum you're you're on campus along with the really five of the eight to kind of commemorate this what efforts of reconciliation have there been prior to this from the University of Mississippi to those eight students as well as the other 81 that were that were arrested that night?
8: Thanks to a handful of professors in journalism, in history, in Southern culture, and the Department for Diversity and their associate provost, they pulled out. Archive materials, and they researched, and they wrote about it, and they persuaded the university administration, including its chancellor, to host this event. Up to now, this had been a secret. It had been silent. There had been no word of it. One of the mental health repercussions to one of the Ole Miss eight is that she never mentioned this to her family. You ask me, is how can Ole Miss engage in some healing? I believe that Ole Miss should start with an apology. An apology, first of all, that they ignored the black student demands. The history will show that even though Meredith integrated the university in 1962, the abject racism on campus continued, such as waving the Confederate flag at the football games, such as the election of uh, Johnny Reb and Madam Mrs. in their pageantry, and all sorts of insults to blacks. There was a previous incident before that in 1968 where black students also complained about the racism on campus. They also obtained freedom of information materials from the FBI, and the FBI record showed that they were surveilling many black students on campus at the request, or at least with the knowledge, of the university, and that led to these university faculty who uncovered this information in their academic work to make a suggestion that A, the University of Mississippi must disclose this information and show what they did and B, they must engage in some kind of healing process. And that's the result of this uh, event.
2: What's it like being back on campus 50 years later for a moment like this?
8: I am very enthusiastic, very comfortable and excited about walking over campus in remembering when I lived in Oxford, Mississippi, in Lafayette County from 1969 to 1971, and I lived half of my work time on the campus because I stayed in the University of Mississippi School of Law Law Library doing most of my legal research with their comprehensive books before we had any electronic research And I enjoyed working downtown on what they call the square, with the four roads entering from the north and south and the east and west. And so to come back 50 years later and to see many of these persons is a very warm reunion for me as the student's lawyer.
3: John C. Britton was the attorney for the Ole Miss Eight and is now a professor at the University of the District of Columbia School of Law. Provost Noel Wilkins offered or Wilkin offered an apology on behalf of the university at a commemorative event held yesterday. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it.